Hey everybody, it's Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show and the Aftershocks podcast. And I know you want to see this next episode, but right before we do it, just want to remind you that if you have an Amazon device, whether it's a TV or a Fire Stick or Fire Cube or whatever it would be, a Fire Box if you're old school, uh, make sure you add the CMSPN to it. Just look up CMS Podcast Network on your Amazon device add the channel and you will get every episode of all four shows for free right there on your TV. Make us part of your TV viewing every single day and night. All right. Uh, it's the CMS podcast network, cmspn.com. And it is now on Amazon. So get it. All right. All right. Here's the episode you came to see. All right. All right. Well, here we go. Welcome to another episode of Aftershocks at AftershocksTV.com on the CMS Podcast Network. And joining us today, we got a longtime veteran in the world of New York hardcore. And he's here to talk to us a bit about his current band, Kings Never Die, who are getting ready to release their new EP titled It's What We Live For. It comes out March 26th on Upstate Records and Blood Blast Distribution. Guitarist Larry the Hunter. Larry, man, thanks so much for coming on. How you doing, bud? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, nice to yeah meet of you. course. Nice to meet you, too, man. So, man, let's talk about Kings Never Die, man. I mean, it's been quite a, a year for you guys. Uh, you know, you released the debut AP, uh, EP, uh, Raise a Glass, shortly before uh, the pandemic hit. I mean, you know, you, it, that thing was taken off. I mean, it was gaining such traction, and it was getting so many good reviews in the and the you know amongst the fans and amongst the press and of course you know because of the pandemic man you you guys were one of those unfortunate bands that put out the record just right before the whole thing hit um so i mean obviously you know you had all that momentum building and that kind of got put to a halt but it looks like to me man you guys you know that momentum never stopped because i mean even though you guys couldn't play shows here you are you got your new ep coming out and uh, you got a lot of other things in the works that we'll talk about in a minute but um you know, it's like you guys had that sort of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger approach, it seems like to me, because of this whole thing. So why don't you just go ahead, I guess, uh, and tell us, man, how you guys been able to sort of keep things going and keep that momentum going with all the buzzkill of the pandemic that happened? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we were in a early phase where we were uh, had a ton of stuff happening anyhow. Mm -hmm. uh and you know normally you can't even get to it in regular life you know like sure. you can't get to everything like everybody you're tied up with a family and everything else work sure and uh in a way we had so much to do as a new band and trying to write stuff and get a catalog going mm -hmm. that we just uh did just said well we're just gonna do that we're gonna write and we're gonna perfect and write and write more and come up with stuff and try to get whatever content we can make ourselves out which the videos are mm -hmm. almost base uh, the, the the one you're going to see on on friday is there was we didn't even have one person with us it was literally the band filming it dan like this or like oh, this. Really? <laughs> not even help wow you know and uh mm -hmm. so you just get it done and uh so yeah we we just started to uh concentrate on that and then you know with COVID, of course dan lost his father which was a major uh you know, thing in, in, in mm. his life. And, uh, you know, he had to take some time for that in there. And, but we just, we didn't stop anything at all. We wrote and we riffed and we passed ideas around and, uh, 
you know, worked on whatever we could. The, the thing that was just so disappointing was that everybody, you know, labels and, and everything were just not even answering phones because well, everybody's yeah. just trying to survive. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody was worried. Our start at that point starts to worry about how they're going to pay the bills because all the festivals are going to be done. All the shows are, you know, not, Hey, let's hear this new band. Like, mm-hmm. sure. So, uh, yeah, you know, that wasn't happening at all as nothing was. So we, we wrote and, and, and just kept strategizing in a way, you know, Dan is a, you know, a consummate hard worker. He, he has a great work ethic and it's great to be in a band with that. You know, you just have to answer to it. Sure. I get yeah. done. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, I mean, you guys obviously got it done, man. And, and like you just brought up, um, you know, the track pure gold that we're going to, you know, like you said, it comes out, uh, uh, this Friday, the 26th of February, um, I, I, you know, I got, I had the privilege to be able to check out the video, man. It's a, it's a cool video. Like you said, it's just a makeshift video you guys did, but yeah. I think you guys did a really cool job on it. Um, and like you said, that's really, you know, it's a challenge, obviously, making yeah, a video during a pandemic. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, how do you do that? You have to do something what you guys did. But I also think what's cool about the video is it, it kind of goes along with what, you know, the band is about, man, just that old school hardcore sort of basic you know uh, i guess you know approach that you guys have to you know the band the music everything that you got going on with it so um you know that track is you know i mean i've heard the, like i said i've also had the privilege to listen to the whole uh ep it's great we'll talk about it a little bit here and uh pure gold is is a great tune um i one thing i love about the not just the tune but one thing i love about just the the record in general man really was the mixing and the production that really, you know, stands out to me on this record. I mean, I know you guys worked with two of the two great guys in the scene. One of the best producers, you know, obviously probably the arguably the best producer in hardcore with Jerry uh, Farley. And of course, you guys also worked with Las Pina from El, El Nino to work on the EP as well. So, I mean, tell, you know, tell us a little bit about working with, you know, both of those guys and really how crucial it is, you know, to have a team in a situation like that in order really to to capture, I guess, the sound, you know, as close of a sound as you as you can in a live setting as possible, which, which you know, it's what most bands obviously set out to do when they record. Um, you know, it's it's funny, I guess, because um, both of those guys I have history with. Uh, so, um, okay. You know, I, I have been, let's see, going back. I met Laz when he was agnostic front was rehearsing in a building in Hoboken that he had a studio that he was working out of. Okay. And I live with Jimmy Coletti who was drumming for agnostic front. This is on something's got to go era. Okay. We lived together on 12th street and, uh, it was, it was, uh, I think it was actually Billy Milano in one room. Laz okay. in another room and AF rehearsing in another room in his basement. Oh, wow. And so, and, and me and Jimmy Coletti were doing, started a thing called Loved and Hated with Kabula on bass. Mm-hmm. So I right, found yeah. myself in there and uh, met Lars then. And that's, uh, I'm terrible with years, but that's going to be, you know, 2000. Okay. And it's 2021, right? You know, oh, so, so, so I know Laz over 20 years just from that, the scenes. Mm-hmm. Jerry, uh, I, uh, me, I started in human with Mike Scandato from an ad mm-hmm. on a wall in Bleaker Bob's, I think. Okay. And when, and that, this is 94 and, and, uh, Jerry was 
a kid in that scene of like six or seven dudes I met right away in that, you know, Brooklyn, Sheepshead mm-hmm. Bay Area, New York hardcore scene. So I know Jerry since he's like a kid. Wow. Okay. Damn. You know what I mean? So they're just yeah. people that I've seen go from bands to producers to, to bigger band to bigger producer and, and make names for themselves. So working with those guys for me, it's just seeing an, an old, another a friend I've seen at shows through the decades. So it's great. Awesome. Uh, yes. Other than that, we, you know, it's again, we're, we just, um, you know, we don't have any label or any anything. There's no money except what comes out of all of our pockets, you know, to get things done. So mm-hmm. you have to get stuff done as, as, you know, as cheaply as possible. And, you know, guys that know what they're doing, you make that easy, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So most... really, it, it's just like you don't, you don't. We never get time to even think about how oh, we're going to make it sound like that, or let's make it sound like this record. You get in, <clears throat> get your rig running. You know, you cannot. There's no time for the luxury of stories or changing amps and do it. You have to get a sound and you have to go. And it's like, does that sound right? You know. But that's how shows are. So you're just relying on all the same stuff. You know, it's the same thing. You know. Sure. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, the one of the things too, uh, you know, I, I like what you guys did with this record as well, uh, is the remixes, you know, especially for uh, the song Razor Glass. I mean, I think the uh, the remix, you know, for, for both the songs on, on the record, I mean, it really blends, I, I think, everything together a bit better than it did on the EP from last year. I think it, it has a little bit of a more of a low end to it uh, in the mix, especially with the drums. And so, um, you know, I, I really, like I said, I really think uh, having those remixes on there really, I think they came out fantastic. Um, is there a reason why you guys wanted to remix those songs? I mean, was, uh, did you maybe want to change a thing or two after you kind of had a release the EP and heard it, you know, a few times or? You know, to be honest, I uh, have only, I only even hear the music on good speakers when we're in a studio. Okay. A- after that, wow, okay. everything I listen to is like on a, you know, some something. exactly. Sure. So, and Dan listens in a car that has a, re- a, a real system all the time to everything. Okay. So I know that we're in there that Dan is just like, I have this, this is whatever major changes that this, cause he hears it in, in a realistic format way more than mm-hmm. me. Okay. I know that if he says he has to remix it for whatever reason, then there has to be something wrong. Unless of course I heard it in my earbuds, which I would too. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I don't have the, I don't get the the good listening in, so mm-hmm. I go. We go in, and he does what he has to do as far as that, and then I I can hear it on the studio, you know, killer monitors, mm-hmm. and then hear if there's anything that sounds fucked up or if it's perfect. And so I know that if it sounds good in there with all that reference and these two guys here, listen, Laz and 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 Dan or or Jerry and Dan, it, and unless I hear something glaringly, you know, wrong, you know. I, I can hear why. So the reason why would be because Dan totally said we have to remix some stuff. Okay. You know, I'm simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. Uh, because I can't even say, you know, that really sounds terrible. Cause I, I get to, I don't listen to it on, on anything really good gotcha. after we're out of the studio. Okay. You know, I'm more concerned yeah. to be honest with you after something's down, it's not going to change anyhow, no matter what it, you know, it's once it's done, it's out. Right. So even if that sure. gets talked, in your mind, it's already mm-hmm. there for everybody to hear. So you can't True. change it. So I, I go to uh, the band at that point playing, you know, playing songs, it. playing live. Yeah. Well, it's, like I said, I mean, they, I think they both really did uh, 
those songs justice, you know. Uh, not that they, like I said, not that I didn't love those songs, you know, on the EP themselves, but I just think the definitely the quality, uh, the, you know, the blend of I think everything to just combined together really just gave it, you know, a, a complete sound to me, um, which I think is really cool about, you know, you guys doing that. <clears throat> well, I know you guys uh, not only you have a lot going on, obviously, with the release of the EP that's coming out, but I know, uh, you know, I was talking to Dan uh, last week. I interviewed him, and you know, for what I've been told, you guys are obviously also now uh, currently doing some pre-production. I think for the first full length for the band, if if that's if I'm correct. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing right and now. And what I, you know, he told me too was great. You are okay, and of course, you guys got. I mean, a great surprise coming on the new uh, the the first uh, full length is you got Danny Shuler from Biohazard playing on drums. Uh, yeah. which is, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that <laughs> behind the kit. That's for sure. And you ain't kidding. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what he told me. Now I was like, wow, man, you guys already had such a great unit. Like, you know, but adding him to the mix is just going to make you guys that much stronger, obviously. But so, yeah, I, mean, I guess, you know, tell us what you can about what, you know, that. Freezing up a little bit for me, Matt. I don't know if uh, you hear me, but you just, you stopped. Oh, I think you there. Not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ooh, I don't tell that. Okay. Was okay. Um, yeah. You just froze, but no, I know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, I, I met uh, Danny Schuler years ago playing at a festival in Europe when I was playing with Sub-Zero and Jason was in the band uh, who plays bass for Kings Never Die. Jason was in Sub-Zero. Jason Calfin was playing sure. bass for Sub-Zero at the time. And uh, I guess we're talking about, uh, 99 2000 played a festival with uh with biohazard in in okay. either france or belgium and um they actually had uh they did uh oh the chromax cover i think hard times and had and called lou up from sub-zero to sing with them which okay. you know I, and it was just a cool thing to witness so i had met mm -hmm. danny back then but that's forever ago and he's played a million shows since then uh, it was totally Dan said I you know he knows him of course because they have a long history. Mm -hmm. uh, Mucky Pup, I think brought Biohazard to to Europe for their first time, sure. and then Doggy mm -hmm. Dog had had tours with Biohazard that were they played Dynamo together, all kind of crazy shit. Mm -hmm. So they're old friends. Okay. Uh, and uh, so Dan Nastasi said I think I'm going to call Danny Schuler and see if he wants to do it, and, and I said, Yeah, whatever, great, sure. That'd be great, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. of course. But, you know, good luck. I don't know him. I only met him once. You say, you know, go ahead, call him up. And he said he sent him this. He wanted to hear the songs and he sent him the songs and he said he liked the songs. So, wow. you know, what do you guys got going on? And he said, well, we're, we're about to do our full length, the first full length. And, uh, you know, send me some more of the stuff. So Dan sent him some more of the songs, whatever, wherever we had them, ones that were more along and, you know, recorded and finished and other stuff that was riff form. And I guess he, he liked the stuff. It was just Dan and him communicating at that point because, you know, just he's who knew him. Mm -hmm. So um, he, you know, called me back. He's like, he says he wants to jam. <laughs> I was like, wow. Great. So they started working on stuff immediately together, just them two, to keep things nice. clean. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the uh, I'd say, you know, the genesis of, of basically all the songs comes from Dan, pretty much okay. 90%. Uh, at this point, everybody has stuff to put in and change his stuff, but the genesis of everything, just about everything, is Dan. 
Okay. And uh, so he, him showing, just playing directly with Dan, Danny Schuler, uh, was easier for them to start and get stuff a basis going. And then they, then Dan would just send stuff within hours of them uh, rehearsing. And and Dan also figured out how to edit stuff a little bit, so he could take rehearsal uh, live jams and actually cut them and paste them to where they, you know, sound mm. terrible, but I could get. The idea you know, of the song and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Changing mm -hmm. links of parts and sequence thing and all that. And they started sure. ripping immediately. And, and uh, you know, I, what can I say? Shuler's a beast and everybody knows it, you know? Yeah. Fucking legend. And and it's, been, uh, you know, just playing is we go in and we play and we work on stuff and we make things better and we're having a blast just doing that. So he just said, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll help you make the record. He said, awesome. That's Simple great. That. Wow. That's, that's, I can't yeah. wait to hear that, man. That's going to be amazing, uh, no doubt. Yeah. Well, let's talk, you know, just a little bit about how you and Dan, you know, uh, started the band. I mean, it sounds like, you know, from what I read and been told is it was really just a simple what's going on, how you been, and the next thing you know, now you guys got Kings Never Die together. Um, and what I find interesting is that, you know, and correct me, obviously, if I'm wrong, but I think it's the first time that uh, the both of you have actually started your own band in quite some time. I mean, obviously, you've, of course, been playing with so many great legendary new york hard, hardcore bands and figures um i mean you know we, we, murphy's law sub-zero sheer terror Vinny stigma i mean you can it, and that's just we're just getting started with that i know you've got such a, a amazing uh, resume but being that you you know yeah well, <laughs> true i guess age does uh yeah. give you the, those opportunities but um but i mean being that you are i mean i know you just mentioned that dan you know it's mostly dan that it does a lot of, you know, most of the, I guess, 90% of the, of the heavy lifting here with the, with the music, at least with the writing. I mean, given the fact that, you know, I guess over the course of your career, I mean, you know, and like I said, you've joined and been involved with so many of those uh, bands. Are you enjoying maybe having more of a leadership role, you know, now that since you guys started the band, than what you were used to when you would just come in and just, you know, fill in or play, you know, uh, for Murphy's Law and Stigma? Um, I mean, is, is it something that, you know, you know, that you're, uh, you know, liking uh, more so or, or, you know, just at least just a change is something a little bit different than what you used to have been doing. Now being sort of a leader and, and one of the songwriters in the band, is that really something that you're really, you know, starting to enjoy more and more? It's a, it's a big change. They're both they're both cool. But yes, I, I'm, I know what you're getting at. And I'm going to say yes, because uh, to have more control and to start something. I mean, it's a huge mm -hmm. headache and totally different bullshit. But um you know, uh, when you, th this band came about because I was looking to start something, whatever. Okay. I'm definitely like at a spot where I'm like, you know, uh, stigma is, is a killer to be involved in because it's not busy. Mm -hmm. Even, even when, uh, 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 before the pandemic, uh, agnostic front is full time. So stigma only ever plays a little bit. So that's mm -hmm. just easy to have in your back pocket. You get a, a few cool shows a year. You know, we go in and play with the songs the night before and go play a show and, and see you in three months or see you at shows, you know, so mm -hmm. that's easy. But um, this was me looking for a long time uh, for something to, you know, trying to put something together. Me and Jason, again, the bass player, are friends for years and played together in Sub-Zero and Son of Scam. And we always liked the way each other played and liked a lot of the same records and, and, and that whole thing. He's a huge Crumb Suckers fan. Ludacris, as as am I, 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah. we gelled like that on that stuff forever. So we were like always looking at a situation, something like, let's do something new. Let's do something new. And I ran into Laz Pena in the local shop, right? Because mm-hmm. he lives blocks away from me. And uh, what's up? How you been? This and that. And he said, you know, Leeway is playing out of the, is rehearsing out of my space right now. And I know you're a Leeway. I was like, oh my, I can't believe it, Leeway. And Dan Nastasi's playing. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I know, you know, of course I knew Dan through Sean Kilkenny from Doggy Dog and mm-hmm. Monkey Pup, who was playing in a version of Murphy's Law with me 10 years earlier. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So I called in and I, I, I called him up and said, hey, what's going on? I haven't heard from you in a while. How, how is how is Leeway going? You know, because Leeway's, you know, one of both of our favorite bands, you know, Legends. Sure. Absolutely. And he was like, cool. We, we, I, I wrote a song, uh, you know, it's like I wrote a song that that's going to be a new Leeway single. And that's that's obviously something, you know, it was like, wow, that's hard to do, you know, and he, to try to write for a standard as, as good as that, you know, a legendary uh, two, you know, records, more than two records. Sure. And um, he said it was good that that he had, you know, it was going good. And he wrote this cool song and the shows were good. But he told me that he had um, a lot of ideas were coming and a lot of risks were coming. A lot of music was just coming out of them. And uh, they weren't, you know, they were it's really hard to do something to another standard like a leeway. Mm -hmm. So he's writing this stuff and it just wasn't fitting in in any, you know, in his mind for Mm -hmm. that band. So he he couldn't really do anything with it so i called him up like i said i called him up out of the blue and said how's it going how you doing and he said you know what i have a, a whole bunch of songs that just like in the pursuit of doing the new leeway song just riffing and, and, and writing songs songs have been just coming out like really simple it's easy and he said if you want to you know you, would you be in hearing them and i was like dude yeah like come over to the house and uh, he came over to the house and we sit in front of the amplifiers and plugged in quiet. And he said, you know, check this riff out. And we'd never, we'd known each other a long time. We never actually uh, sat and played together. It just uh-huh. never came up. Okay. And uh, he had a bunch of stuff and he's another, he's from Leeway, Crumb Suckers, Ludacrist, you know, Metallica, Chrome Eggs, all that before that. So we play the same way in a mm-hmm. way we're all, you know, so we started to riff together. Um, super easy and 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 you know when somebody's got a bunch of cool ideas it was clear what to do so we just started getting together uh you know like twice a week and and, and hashing them out right away awesome. you know, so yeah that's, that's what you idea. want if you start a new band when there's ideas and you know instead of looking around standing around looking at each other what do you want to play you know yeah so Absolutely. we knew that like you know he, he there was a place to go he had these ideas that weren't for that and and uh and he he didn't want to stay. He couldn't stay with, uh, you know, their schedule like touring and stuff like that, and traveling as much as they wanted to because he was coaching and he has a company, you know. So for mm-hmm. us to to to, uh, to start sitting around the living room and jamming and writing songs was was easy to do. So that's exactly what we did, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it is interesting. Some you know how bands sometimes get together. It's just. Uh, it almost sounds like it was sort of fate for you guys to be together because it was, a, you know, obviously like it was a, a pre-planned thing. But you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys did, man, because like I said, the music that you guys have been pumping out has been awesome. You know, you just brought up actually, uh, you know, uh, a couple of names that you brought up: Crumb Suckers and Ludacrist. Um, and you know, one of the things when, when I think of those bands, um, you know, even Murphy's Law, even early Murphy's Law, is you know. Uh, is something that you you guys bring to the table that you don't find too much uh you don't find too often 
uh, and hardcore bands is the lead guitars, you know, uh, which to me, I always love lead guitar in, in, in pretty much everything because I just always feel, feel like they make the songs more complete. And, um, you know, I guess obviously historically in New York hardcore, I mean, especially East in the 90s, I should say, you know, in the 80s, there were a lot of leads, you know, obviously with the crossover thrash stuff. But uh, really, in the 90s, you know, lead guitars were kind of so always phased out. Um, I know it was, a lot of it has to do, obviously, because of the punk rock nature, obviously, of hardcore and, you know, punk historically was known for no leads or very little to no leads. Um, you know, and like I said, I, I always love it, maybe just because I also love metal. I love 70s hard rock. Um, but like I said, to me, it just makes it more complete. Um, so for you, I mean, in terms of your influences, you know, in, incorporating these leads, you know, into into the music. I mean, like I said, obviously, you, you've played with Murphy's Law and they always had, I mean, Todd Youth and another guy who I think is just one of the best that sometimes people don't talk enough about. Um did, is that where you sort of derived your style kind of from, you know, with your lead, being a lead guitarist in that scene? Was Is it from those early, uh, mid, late to late 80s, you know, crash, uh, excuse me, uh, thrash crossover bands like the uh, Crumb Suckers and, and Leeways and so forth? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I was a, I'm a huge fan of Murphy's Law. I've seen Murphy's Law more than any other band uh, before mm -hmm. I was in, ever in the band. Okay. Uh, Todd is a, is a, is a, I mean, forget it. OG definition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just his style. And, uh, you know, that band just set me on the rear because I heard the record at one point and it sounded funny and jokey and mm -hmm. not heavy. Like a lot of things at the time, the, the debut mm -hmm. record I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then I saw them and they were loud as fuck and in your face and insane. And it mm. was wild to me to see that together. I didn't expect that. I thought it was going to be a hokey joke, and they they mm. were not right. So Murphy's sure. Law is an absolutely huge, huge influence. Todd, but even other guitar players, but Todd, of course. Um, yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm brain farting on the question. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, is is that really kind of how you got? You know, you, you're yeah. Were you very influenced by that in terms of your influences? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, like you. Uh, although I'm probably a little older than you, um, I grew up with an older brother and sister in the 70s. Okay. So, uh, you know, I grew up with tons of really good rock and roll, you know, guitar mm -hmm. oriented. My brother liked like Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers and the Outlaws and, and mm -hmm. Pink Floyd and, and uh, Outlaws. Um, I haven't heard that band name in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. seen the Outlaws. Love that. Oh, wow. Nice. Three triple guitar, Florida, Florida yeah. Axe Attack, three, three lead guitar players. Yeah. Green grass and uh, high tides, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> awesome. and then my sister liked Alice Cooper and the Ramones mm. and Deep Purple and and tons Kiss, which blew me my mind. So I had all that from from being a kid, you know. And mm. then through the seventies, and I got into like, um, well, I like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and of course Queen and anything with big guitar riffs and big drums, anything like that. J mm -hmm. James Gang and Joe Walsh and, yeah. and oh, ZZ yeah. Top is ZZ Top is my favorite band on the planet. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, and then they get a little older, and I got into like I stumbled upon Iron Maiden and you know that whole Judas Priest get went that way, and and that's when I started. Around that time, my brother had an acoustic guitar, but around that time was when your friends start playing, and I get hold of somebody's guitar in a bedroom for a minute, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, make some noise and think, man, I gotta get I gotta get a guitar. Uh, so all that, just going through all that and, and into metal and, and then, you know, um, 
Metallica and the whole thrash scene. When Metallica was, you know, at their, I remember when Cliff died, I was in like in my senior year of high school. So I was like target audience, complete wow, yeah. Metallica from the start, not from the start. I didn't really hear from them until I had Ride Lightning on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all of that is lead guitar stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, uh, so yeah, I always, I always looked up to the lead guitar. Ted Nugent, uh, you know, politics aside, was just an un unbelievable, ripping, blistering guitar player, you know, anything with any kind of like lead crazy guitar. So the leads make sense to me, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, but I, but there's fear and dead Kennedys and they're loaded with leads and that's true. early as it gets, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anything, you know, meat men is, uh, is, is maybe like a bit of a, murphy's law precursor or whatever but leads that yeah but you know what i played in bands where leads are less important and stuff and that's cool if it fits you know mm -hmm. but i like when when the when i heard the crumb suckers and ludicrous with these guys that were like just just blistering like uh giving any thrash a run for its money that's just super you know like i wanted to yeah that sounds cool to me you know the way they play love those guys just the, the oh that, yeah that that insanely blistering guitar in in and amongst New York hardcore is just, you know, I can't even, I fake that. I just fake it. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, those, I mean, those records just stand the test of time and they, um, they never but, get old. But also, yeah. you know, sorry to cut you off, Matt, but oh, yeah. if you think about the nineties, right, there's also mm. quicksand who had much more atmospheric leads or whatever, but still a burning ass killer lead. Sure. Yeah. And then there's into another. Mm. Who has the guy who's like a guitar virtuoso full of leads and they were killing the 90s that's true know? yeah i mean i guess so maybe that's sort of like i know that was more a little more of the alternative you know post hardcore stuff but yeah you know you're right i mean they i which is why i think a lot of those bands maybe went a different direction um after sort of a lot of the beatdown you know uh, hardcore in the 90s uh just because you know it it, it I'm not saying it gets old, but I think you know you, you're limited of, of what you can obviously experiment with if you're in that kind of a. I mean, yeah, even Biohazard obviously had leads too. I mean, but but so, what happened, I think, is a lot of those bands. Then, if you had a lead guitar, a lot of the hardcore you know fans or you know people would be like, well, it's, you're more of a more of a metal band because you got leads. You know, it's sort of like you get. I mean, like Biohazard is a great example. You know, I mean, they kind of got. You, you talk to some people about Biohazard, they don't really consider them you know a hardcore band, but to me, they they are. I mean, they came up in that. Sure, eventually they sort of phased out, and once they signed to a major label, they kind of went their own way and did something different. But uh, you know, to me, they're always been a hardcore band. You know, um, even those first couple albums, you can't beat them. They're fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, um, I want to bring up some albums you've been involved with, with some, you know, uh, you know, I guess uh, some other projects over the years, albums that I love. I just wanted to ask you about. I've always been interested in. Uh, you mentioned one of your first bands uh, you started in Human. Uh, Evolver, which came out there in the late '90s, loved that record. And what's great was, you know, that I, I never realized, but I found out that record was produced by Bumblefoot, Ron yeah. Tall. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. How did how did? I mean, I was obviously, I guess, before he, you know, is the guy he is now, and all you know, Guns N' Roses and Sons of Apollo and everything. But I mean, how did you guys? What? How did you want to hook it up with him to produce that? I mean, it, it, what '97 or so that came out, right? I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the years. I told you, but somewhere. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah, well, I did a. We did a. I did a demo and like a seven inch in that record. And yeah, it was Ron was. Uh, it was his basement. Okay. I mean, his parents' yeah. basement at some little house in Brooklyn. And those mm -hmm. guys, everybody was from Brooklyn. I was. I was in Manhattan, uh, going to school, 
mm. from Pennsylvania. I didn't know anybody. I just went to everything. And my okay. roommate brought the brought a flyer home that said, you know, hardcore band looking for guitar player. And that was my Scandato. Okay. Wow. So I'm coming out there on the train for everything, rehearsals and whatever we would do, but I don't know anybody. Mm. So that's, you know, I got to know all those. So all those cats must have known Ron from, he was just the guy okay. that was doing demos around the way. Wow. Okay. But then when he would, it was funny because, uh, first of all, he was really super efficient and super good, even though it was this little random basement, everything mm. was perfect. Mm. you know there wasn't a thing out of place on the floor there was yeah. no you know the so professional huh yeah it was like a perfect it was a tiny basement in his, in his parents home whatever but clearly the dude knew what he was doing you know mm. and then he would pick up a guitar every now and then and you'd be like what holy shit like he's a he's a virtuoso yeah you know mm. so yeah well, that's it and then a few years later i remember hearing about this guy joining guns and rose remember that dude i was like what yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> new york man there's yeah such a amazing. crazy crossroads it is that's that's definitely new york yeah. for you yeah ron rosenthal yeah <laughs> that's ron Thal. who and i don't know where bumblefoot came out but but yeah he's a super nice dude and uh yeah it was cool yeah that's an awesome experience man no doubt the other record i you know i never i never knew you played on was the was the uh the sworn enemy ep negative outlook there that was on stillborn you were no. part of that correct were you part of that uh-uh. You weren't. Because no. you get credit. So you've got credit on it somewhere on the internet. I'll just let you know that. Really? Yeah. It says it, but I guess that's a mistake. Um, all right, we'll pass over that one then. Yeah. And no, of course, right. yeah. What is it? Sworn enemy? Yeah, their their EP that was on Stillborn, uh, negative outlook. Uh oh man. So, so it has to be a mistake. Yeah, okay. Just to I wish because I, I that came up and I was like, I never I didn't know this, man, because I'm a big fan of that band and I would have no I would have known it. But, that one. Okay, uh, well, let's skip over that one. And of course, you know, one of the other albums I always loved, man. You know, just as, as a youngster, it was was Son of Scam, the Five Borough Manhunt uh, EP. I know you you are not one. How, how did you guys ever come up with that project? You know, put that together, man. I was, I, I mean, that thing still pops up in my, you know, I still have it on my in my phone. It, it pops up, you know, every probably month or so. Uh, you know, No Escape or you know, Monkeys or something comes up, man. But how did you guys? How did that come together? That whole project. You know, that was, uh, I knew Lou from Sub-Zero okay. from playing with him in, in Human. Okay. I, we played shows together. We played Castle Heights together. Oh, wow. Castle Heights, man. Yeah, wow. yeah. Oof. And I got along with Lou from whenever I met him and okay. Richie. Um, so we, we were friends, you know. So anytime we would play with uh, Sub-Zero, it would be like, oh, cool. We're going to see these guys tonight, you know, and have a great time at a bar or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so I knew Lou. And uh, I guess it had come. I, remember, I didn't know Richie Scam, but I'd seen him. You know, you see characters around at the time, you know. And uh, I guess he was going to get something together. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. He wanted to get a band together. And he, I guess, I don't know how he approached Lou or whatever. There was, because there was some crazy homemade demos and stuff of Summer Scam before I became involved. But I didn't know any of those other guys. I knew who all of them were, Freddie, you know, and, and, and all these guys have seen them around the scene, of course, but didn't talk to any of them except for Lou. So when they wanted to get something together, um, it was kind of like, uh, in a way, it was like Freddie and Ezek were kind of showing Richie scam, I think, like, you know, get a band together because you could travel mm -hmm. and you could do cool shit. You know what I mean? Like if you, you channel that crazy energy and those ideas, and get some guys and start playing in a band, you know? And that's mm -hmm. exactly what he did. 
And mm -hmm. uh, so Lou said, I got it. I got it. This guy can play. He's going to play what you like. You know, like he, he mm -hmm. plays heavy riffs and he's going to work out. And that just met Richie Scam at the wetlands one time, you know, and just like, so you play guitar, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, yep. So just showed up and started jamming. And, and Lou knew that uh, I could play like that. Simple as that. That's my whole involvement. That's okay. where Larry the Hunter comes from, too. That's a Lou nickname. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we started jamming on that. They had some rough, crazy ideas. And it was, uh, at the time, it was me and Jim Eaton from Sub-Zero on drums. And we were already used to playing together. And he was skilled. Mm -hmm. So when they had, like, these really raw whatever ideas, we had a guitar and, a dr and could just eat like this, you know, whatever. Like this, like this, more like this. And mm -hmm. stuff shaped up right away. They had a bunch of songs, and that was another one. There was, there was energy. There was a bunch of ideas and a bunch of energy. So getting the songs mm -hmm. together, like with those guys, kind of fell into place pretty quick. Okay. And um, it's a, that's it. Simple as that. It's more or less um, Sub Zero guys and me. And the bass player is the guy that ended up playing in Sub-Zero later, this guy Jason, who's now mm -hmm. playing in, in, in Kings Never Die With Us. But mm -hmm. he played in Son of Scam as well because, again, he was in that heavier, tight style, you know? Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that, that, that's how that involvement happened. Crazy yeah. band. Yeah, that was, uh, listen to that record, it just sounds like you guys had a blast making that thing in the studio or something, man. It just has that, you know, real fun vibe to it. Um, yeah, I would just always dug. I remember the first time hearing it, I didn't even hear it. You know, I, I had just moved from at that point from New York, uh, out here to the, to the West coast. And I remember just finding it on like, I think it was like the century media website or something. And I was like, what is this? And I saw these names attached to it, obviously Lou and Freddie and everything. And, uh, yeah, man, I just, uh, I, I was a bit bummed that you guys never really did much after that, but, uh, you know, and I think, you know, I know you, there was a couple other songs that was put out on a record, but, uh, you know, I always thought that was a cool band, you know, definitely for that time, especially it was a really uh, a fun band. You know, um, that, I mean, that's yeah. great. If you want, I mean, I could tell you, you want to hear stories more about it or whatever I could tell you, or, or if you want to move on, you know. Let sure, go ahead. Well, you can share some stories. Well, yeah, you know, cool. I agree that that should have been, should have went further. Uh, mm -hmm. Richie Scam would attest to basically everything I had to say about this or whatever. But we had like that um, kind of an early implosion due to. I don't know, inexperience or, 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 or just like false beliefs and something else was going to happen. Like classic situation of we had a bunch of ideas and a bunch of energy right away and interest right away. Century Media was totally interested right away. And um, they, they, in a way, we, uh, uh, you know, some of the people in the band kind of got a little more into the idea that it was just going to happen now. Okay. And didn't realize it was time to put roll your sleeves up and do the boring shit and get to work. Mm -hmm. And like I, I've said this to Richie, you know, Richie knows, and I'm not just blaming okay. Richie's camp for sure, because he's also the genesis of the whole idea, the whole energy is him. Without him, there is none. True. But mm -hmm. he knows, and we talked about it before, that at the time we it was like a little bit in a weird way, we recorded a demo and Century Media said, We'll put the demo out right away. Mm -hmm. Like just you know, give it to us, and it's already a record, right? yeah some of this those this is like the first time for you know a demo you know mm. you don't usually get like a signed record out in europe and no i know I'm, yeah i'm doing totally. a demo and yeah. he he even it was chris from rikers chris luff from rikers bass player okay. rikers was doing ar i guess for century media and loved 
and signed Sub-Zero. And I guess Lou, maybe, he got wind of this project through Lou and heard it and was like, I want it. You know, okay. at the time, I guess, you know, uh, I guess you're talking about 98, 99, this sort mm -hmm. of New York hardcore meets rap was super appealing in Europe. Sure, you had Scarhead, Scarhead was blowing up and all that stuff, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. and, but it's still kind of a little bit on the early, you know, side of it. So sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he knew that it was going to get interest. So he, um, they flew us over to play one show. They flew us over to jump on the Dure Fest okay. with Agnostic Front and Earth Crisis and, and the Cro-Mags and uh, Stigmata. I mean, Motorhead played earlier in the day. Destiny's Child played that festival Jeez, earlier wow. in the day. <laughs> right? So they, they, it's they yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they flew us over. We have a demo. They fly us over to play <laughs> one gig. Mm -hmm. And um, and really, the idea was they were kind of saying, like, if you guys get that record together, look at what you can get. Like, look at mm -hmm. what we can do for you if you just deliver that record now. Mm -hmm. And 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 what happened was people kind of were like, all right, we made it. We're done. Mm -hmm. and we never could get they never we never got together to, to make the record was you know people just got i guess i don't know you know like wow. everybody kind of went crazy and and didn't couldn't do the work that needed to be done at that point because that's mm -hmm. a lot of work sure yeah you know right now yeah. we're doing this king we're, we're working on putting songs together for kings never die and dan has been every other day with two dance together you know every other day right now for like the last two weeks you think about that that's a lot of hours, a lot. especially oh, yeah. for, for, you know, 50 year old men with totally. families and jobs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it's, but if that doesn't get done, then it doesn't get done. It doesn't get done. Yeah. And back then, you know, this was w way younger. Well, not real young, but everybody's really, this is like, again, 98, 99. So you're talking about, you know, whatever, well over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, a, they were crazy. Everybody was crazy which really transmitted to the grooves of the record. You can hear the crazy. Oh yeah. Shit. You can, man. Yeah. You no, know, that's, a, that's a weird, I get yeah. asked about that band. That's one of the bands I, I surprised that I get asked about the farthest out. Like, really? yeah. And I never, nobody says anything about it here except like a joke once in a while. This and that. And not, sure. not, no, just not a joke, but you know, everybody knows everybody here, mm -hmm. but I've had, uh, I was in, uh, Serbia with Murphy's Law, Serbia. And I was wearing a Son of Scam shirt. And sure, some kid was like, dude, wanted to buy it off me. And I was wow. like, it's the only one I got. <laughs> wow, know, Serbia. How about it. that? And I was Damn. Like, How do you even know? This is a bunch of years later, you know? Yeah. And they were like, Are you kidding me? That fucking record is killer. And I just, I'm always like, wow. Now, no, again, no disrespect. I like it. And I, sure. I loved it when we were doing it. I think it has crazy. But you said it's a demo. But, I mean, right? It's, it was a demo. Yeah, yeah we we, did, we ran <laughs> yeah. in there, plugged in. You know, there was no yeah. like getting cool sounds or anything. It was like trying to get stuff down for a few hundred dollars that we could scrape together. You know. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it it never, you know, it did, never turned over and started running. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Uh, a few years later, I guess they did some stuff together. But to be honest, I didn't have the time. I think I might have been playing in Murphy's Law or something at the time and honestly couldn't afford to to do, you know, a little bit of shows here and there. So I can't really speak about, you know, what they did later or what they released. Richie, Richie Scam is is a is a creative uh, groundswell, though, and has tons of ideas and always did and always does. And he figures out a way to hustle and 
get himself out there and get stuff done. And that's why there mm-hmm. was later iterations of music and stuff. But the, the, the band itself on the first thing was like that one shot, you know, and that's that, mm-hmm. that fibro man, honey Pete. Sure. Yeah. It's too well, bad. It like... would have been fun to, for that to go further, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just between obviously like Scarhead and the Sun of Ski, I mean, I, I was just a, a big fan of that whole, cause like you said, it was just a crazy, I mean, you could hear, you said you could hear it on the record just with, with the vocals or anything. It's just like, man, this is wild, man. This is, it was crazy. It, it, had, it, had, a, it had a spirit to it. It really had like a, a real, like, it pumped you up. It, it made you laugh. It just had, there was a lot of a, just like you said, out of a demo, just a four or five song demo, just it really, you know, um, it hit people, obviously, if they're still talking to me, you're about yeah. to hear 20, you know, 20 years later, you know? Yeah. 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 Especially for only ever playing, I don't know. I think we only played like five or six shows. Wow. total That's it, huh? wow. i can't think of anything more than that yeah we we yeah. you know uh, i think we played lemur we played uh uh someplace in connecticut once we played a cbs once we played a killer 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 night at the wetlands one time that bar- barricade flew just a, just an unbelievable set that was like our one really good show and then we played mm-hmm. belgium and then that was kind of it was it huh <laughs> yeah so yeah. uh yeah. What what you know what what came of that was um you know, me and uh Richie Kennan from Sub Zero, who was the other the main guitar player in Sub Zero, and Lou from Sub Zero, we were still like we enjoyed playing together. And because Son of Scam fell apart, I think I said, Why don't you guys do Sub Zero? Why don't we do Sub Zero again? You know, why don't you mm-hmm. why not? And so we started doing that again because they, you know, they told me they'd always wanted a second guitarist but always had trouble finding one that mm-hmm. fit or whatever Saab played second guitar for a while way before me okay um but since we were already doing son of scam and playing together it was the same drummer the same two guitar players the same bass player now and this mm-hmm. and lou so wow. you know we're like well if you know if yeah. son of scam isn't going to continue let's do sub-zero you so that, that that yeah. then you know yeah we did a uh, I got back to Europe with them right after that for like a summer run with oh, a bunch of different bands. And uh, so, and that lasted a while. And then um, Sub-Zero, uh, let me see, let me think. I get confused because it's, like I said, I'm old. <laughs> that, well, it would come and go, you know, that, that band would get busy and then not busy and stuff just through, you know, trying to keep paying bills in life, you know. Mm-hmm. And in, sure. in that meantime, uh, that's where Love and Hated came about with Jimmy Coletti and that he had a ton of ideas. Same thing. He had mm-hmm. a bunch of songs that that weren't working for AF because he used to he had wrote, written a ton of AF material around that time and said, what do you think? You want to do it? So we started doing that and, you know, whatever. Next. And at that point, when I was playing with him, um, Murphy's Law needed a guy and it was the timing was just right, you know. I could do it, and and so that's why I started playing for, for Murphy's Law. So that's why I wasn't in Sub Zero even later. I, it's hard to be in more than one band, as you can imagine. I know that. Oh sure, duh. But yeah, yeah. even if yeah. there are two that you want to be in, sometimes you have to make a cut because there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Sure. No, I, I totally understand that. I, mean, I, I wanted to tour really bad. I wanted to travel and tour bad. Which, that was something you know mm-hmm. I I'd always wanted to do. And there, the, Murphy's Law had like. We had we did a six and a half week tour right away, you know. Oh wow, you can't beat that then, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, I really yeah. wanted to go and do that, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. So. No, it makes sense, man. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> I did. Uh, you know, you you. 
I was watching that uh, little uh, interview you did with uh, with Drew Stone for the New York Hardcore Chronicles, and you know you you, uh, you came up with a really uh, you said something really you know important I think you know when it when you know that that question that comes up all the time is hardcore dead you know um, it's like that was a rock dead thing you know what I mean it's it's kind of I sometimes I just think it's a silly question because it's definitely not but you you pointed out that you know hardcore it's it's a genre that wound up becoming a lifestyle. You know, so it's like, you know what I mean, which I thought was a great, you know, it, you know, it's a great line you said, obviously, right there. and something I never even thought about. It's like, yeah, it's, that's totally true. I mean, and I guess my question is, you know, in your opinion, I mean, how's the life, you know, obviously we, we know hardcore music in the scene, it's not dead and, you know, it never will be. But in your opinion, has the lifestyle been, you know, not dead or I would say diminished. I don't know what really the right word is, but I mean, it's obviously probably a lot less t today you know, than it was 20 years ago. And I think it, not because people have lost interest in it. It's, I don't think that has anything to do with that. I think maybe, you know, back then hardcore obviously had a, a bit more of a commercial appeal and not really just so much more commercial. A lot of it was you had a lot of bigger and good size, you know, uh, independent labels like Roadrunner, like Century Media, Victory Records. I mean, they all fueled the genre, you know, in, in you know, the, the 90s and, and later on. You know, city kids, too, they were able to afford, you know, I mean, just talking about New York City, they were able to afford an apartment, you know, in a rehearsal space with a couple of friends. You know, you can work a part-time job. You can go on your tours. You can sell enough merch. You know, all that stuff to survive off of. Um, where nowadays, I mean, you paid half a cent for a song that's played and streamed. Um, not that you made a lot of money back then, but you obviously made enough to 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 at least give you something to to go off of where you could survive, you know. And I just feel like today it's just you know um, a lot of these you know these kids, these younger kids who want to play and 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 be in that lifestyle, it, say in and around a, a New York City. I mean, they got they have to move out you know upstate or central Jersey or somewhere just to probably be able to to do that as a youngster, you know? So, I mean, do you think, you know, in your opinion, is that a correct, you know, sort of statement? I mean, obviously it's not dead, but do you think just the lifestyle maybe isn't as big as it once was because of all these roadblocks that makes it, you know, a lot of times hard to, to live that hardcore lifestyle? Man, I'm not sure even how to answer that. I think you, uh, I don't know. Life is hard, man. You got, yeah, it is. You know sure. I mean? What the yeah. fuck? You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I don't know anything, you know, I, I don't know what he, how to say. I don't know anything else but that. I think it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I, I really don't know how to say it. I don't, I can't imagine. I think you're either in or out. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. everything comes in waves. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't believe it. I never made any money from music, even when I was sure. managed and paid. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, at at mm -hmm. the small times during my career, so to speak, that I was even managed and paid. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always been a, a deficit to play music and stuff, but it's because it's all you, you do it. You do this this long because it's all you know how to do. I don't know any better. Sure. Yeah. So I don't think about like, well, I can't do this anymore because it's in. It's just in me. You know. It's just ingrained in you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like for instance, you got like you guys are doing. You know, the uh, the A seven back to New York hardcore roots. You know, you're on that compilation. You guys have played A seven a few times, and I know. I think it's great what Drew Stone's doing with all that. I mean, just really trying. I guess give you know a lot of the younger generation of hardcore fans and musicians sort of a. I mean, maybe a. I don't. I don't. You know, sort of a. 
overview of what you know it was at one point and hopefully what it you know it could continue to be you know i mean as as the generations and as these kids get older and as you know uh, you know as the years go on um so i mean i mean i guess as a guy too you know like yourself you I mean, you grew up you know going to old you know new york hardcore shows and you know you ingrained into the scene like you said and, and into the whole uh lifestyle i mean do you feel like i guess maybe as a veteran in the scene do you feel like you have i would say this you know i'm just not say a responsibility but sort of you owe it to say you know the the the, the founders of of hardcore to continue to do like you know the a7 shows and to be on these comps with some of these younger bands to kind of give them a boost you know because it's tough for i think you know younger hardcore bands if it's just a bunch of them with you know brand new musicians no one really knows who they are if they're just sort of on their own trying to put out compilations or their own music or trying to get a foot in the door it's just so much more harder now than it was obviously than you know when when you were getting your feet wet in the seam and you feel like you know you have oh yeah i guess not responsibility but you want to do that you want to do that you know for a lot of these younger you know musicians and fans of hardcore i, I mean i don't think hardcore is going anywhere you know uh mm. it's too much fun it, you know it I is mean, <laughs> no you're right be, there's always going to be um some kids somewhere in a garage it's gonna i always think of it as like this thing that came out of the cities in like a ripple effect like water you know mm. it's dc and new york and la and to you know to boston, certain extent yeah. chicago and boston and and, and mm. you know whatever and then they they it did this through the years you know yeah and really all over the world all like, the world and sure it, exactly but so it's it doesn't go away where it started in those epicenters but it goes down but i don't know i I, I I don't know if it's any easier. It was easier. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was easier then and is not. I think it's like if you have the drive to get in the garage, you figure out new ways to put it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think bands before that, when they started seeing like, you know, bands in the fifties, when they started seeing cassettes, probably said, "What the fuck is what? Are, what are those fucking things? <laughs> like, cassettes? Yeah. We're already making records. Now they got a new machine. We'll never. It's the same shit. That's same. Yeah." That's Kids are going to keep playing and coming up with crazy music, whatever it is, street music in some form, whether, you know, whatever, but hardcore is not going to go away. And what, who cares if somebody says it goes away or whatever, you're going to still go to shows. I'm going to shows. Sure. Yeah, That's what I mean. Like it doesn't, there's always somebody trying to put some stupid label on shit like this and that it was mm-hmm. the time when it was going to, it doesn't, you're either doing it or you're not, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Sure. Yeah, you know, makes so sense. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I think there's going to be shows because they're fun. You know, mm. simple as that. Simple as that. Sure. No, I, I, I got you, man. I, I, and I agree. I mean, like I said, one thing about the music and just going to shows, it is fun. You know, it doesn't. I think even though the, you know, lyrically, uh, if it, you know, if you listen back to some of those old hardcore records, you know, and obviously they're written by kids in their teens and early twenties. You you know maybe you know lyrically you 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 don't relate to them as much anymore because you are older, but it doesn't lose the fun of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, now to some me, it's records just, are written you know, by guys in their fifties. Well, yeah, them. like Kings Never Die, right? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like Agnostic Front, yeah. like Silver Tomb, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's um. I think when you were younger, you didn't think that that was possible. True. Yeah. But yeah, at some point, I, I mean, I remember being in like, uh, I remember being in. Uh, this bar in the city one time years and years and years ago with paris mayhew from the chrome mags mm-hmm. and i think he was turning like 30 
Okay. And I remember thinking, fuck, 30. Jesus. I didn't know it's you could old. like. When yeah. I was, yeah, and I, I was only, I was probably, I don't know how much younger I am than him, only like four or five years or something, you know? Mm. But I remember thinking 30. I didn't think he could be 30. And then Vinny Stigma came in, and I remember everybody was saying, like, Vinny's 40 or something now. And I said, <laughs> wow, you know? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, he just turned 65. Yeah, wow. Uh, so yeah. that's, it, it changed. That's why I say it changed, you know, the old heads, a lot of the old heads will say, well, that scene is dead or whatever, but it did, that scene did die, but it changed from a scene to a lifestyle. True, yeah. And and that's what yeah. people that are into the lifestyle, like all those cats I just mentioned, they don't think about, oh, it was harder then, or it's going to be better. You're in it. You just you're do in, it. You yeah. stay or not, you know? If, yeah, you're the, if, if you need it to be perfect times to stay in it, fuck you, you know? Yeah. You got to no, stay with it when when you're yeah when when your girl's telling you I don't like hardcore well fuck you I got to find another yeah. guy you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah so yeah, I don't know, that's you a know? Good point yeah yeah it makes like, like yeah. I don't think I owe it like what you're saying not that I owe it but I mean like that I think about the younger I just do that naturally because yeah. all the time when I was younger there was somebody always would would st- let you step up mm-hmm. that were older dudes and get on a show or whatever so I don't think that I have to do that it's, you just do that that's what that's what shows are. That's what it's all about. Somebody yeah. that's headlining, that's killer, and then there's the mid-level guys, and then there's the guys that are trying to get on badly, you know? Sure, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it keeps going, you know? I mean, it, it would be nice to, you know, think that it's going to, like, with pandemic and all this bullshit now, that it's going to, you know, be able to fill the Ritz again two nights in a row for whoever plays, you mm-hmm. know, pretty soon again. But I, yeah, I guess time, you know, it's just time. Sure, yeah. It's got to come back. It can't. This, you know, can't kill fucking rock and roll. No, you can't. Yeah, rock and roll. Well, yeah, it's 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 trying times, but it it definitely will survive, and not just survive, it'll thrive. You know, it probably yeah. even more so. I think after this. Yeah, we're gonna. Of, everybody's gonna yeah. need it like extra. Absolutely. There's gonna be some kind of explosion that comes from it of of crazy bands or a new thing or whatever. Because once this gets done, people are gonna think back like, holy cow, like, man, we had it so good. You know, we got us celebrate you know sure yeah no absolutely so. man well larry man you know we're gonna get ready to wrap it up man it's going on an hour um you know it's been great talking to you man why don't you go ahead and uh just throw out i guess uh some of the plugs you can for for kings never die where people could check out the music and maybe buy some merch and, and the new record uh that comes out at the end of the month right on man this is definitely uh dan's department i know he must have he probably laid everything out perfectly the other night so i'll be failing in comparison but definitely check out uh upstate records uh, uh you know at upstate records on instagram any anything i, I say is going to be easy to find where kings never die official um i'm larry underscore the underscore hunter on uh instagram um yeah, that's really it. You know, you'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, Kings Never Die Official. Uh, the record's coming out Friday, which I'm psyched to put another thing out and video. I always even forget it's a video, but it's video too. Um, you know, I am so amped about working on these tunes with Danny and Danny. You wouldn't, I mean, I, I don't want to say too much and sound corny, but you just wouldn't believe what's going on in the room right now. Like what when, when Schuler came over and started sinking into this stuff, everybody's on another level sure so right now that's that's what i'm plugging keep your ear to the ground to hear that record coming out but nice. friday man check it out upstate records kings never die official yeah man that's that'll do it uh, 
Awesome, man. Well, like I said, I look forward to hearing all the, uh, you know, the new music. And like I said, I've already heard the EP. Thank, thanks to Mario at Upstate. Right. Uh, it sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, man, and I obviously can't wait to see you guys, you know, back on the road, hopefully sooner than later. And uh, yeah, just keep doing what you guys are doing, man. It's, it's, it's needed and it's, uh, you know, everyone I talk to loves it. So. Do as well, man. The same thing. This is, I mean, there's a, here's, this is a great thing that we've learned from, from this pandemic, all the, all this kind of stuff, virtual shit podcast. It's so important. It works. It's Mm -hmm. enjoyable. Now we have more of that to the scene, which doesn't hurt and can stay when it gets back to normal. Well, no, you're right. I just want to think that, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, people, where where are you going to go to get that? And then there has been, like I said, a lot of uh, start, Podcasts, video casts, all these things. Yeah, I agree, man. It's it's. I, uh, mean, I think yeah. the scene has gotten a little more international and bigger because of this, in a way, because of communication had to mm. leave the show. That's a good and point. If you're yeah. going to keep mm. up with everything and figure out what's going on, and you're not going to go to the show. What do you got to yeah. do? You got to get on stuff. People didn't just stop. Sure. Yeah. They all went to this. Went to this. Yeah. No, you're right. So, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Lives. Oh, yeah, it sure does, man. All right, Larry, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it, and you have a good one, bud. Take right, care. Thank you, Matt. Nice to meet you. All right, nice to meet you too, bud. All Take right, care. Man. Anytime. Right, see you.
everybody another great interview right here on aftershocks tv and before we go just want to remind you one more time make sure you get over and subscribe to the cms podcast network cmspn.com you can watch you can listen you can subscribe to everything that we do not only us but uh the classic metal shows shockwave skull sessions uh talk to me it's all there one site get four great shows never have to do anything again but be entertained so check it out uh, cmspn.com 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 until next time folks <laughs>